Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bright day in a still rather deserted city of Westminster in these times of COVID-19, as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Challoner and I'm joined on today's programme by Andrew Whelan. Andrew is the CEO of the Sankus Group, an innovative alternative finance provider. He is also the CEO of GLI Finance, which is a specialist provider of finance for SMEs. Andrew, welcome to the programme and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us on this fine day. Thank you, Scott, and a pleasure to be to join the the call and to speak to yourself and I look forward to uh, talking about uh, the subject. Absolutely. The purpose of this uh, discussion is to really establish your take home on leadership. So if we look at that word leader in isolation first and foremost and dive straight into that, what does that word leader actually mean to you and how does it resonate? Well, I think for me, I've always thought of leadership is by leading by example. And what I mean by that is is the ability to, to guide your team in a direction or towards a decision that leaves them feeling, still feeling empowered and accomplished. Um, you don't want to force someone. You want them to actually buy into what you're trying to achieve, whatever, whatever the objectives are, uh, and that way you get the best out of people. You certainly uh, do, uh, for sure. And if we think about your leadership style, just for a moment, um, Andrew, how would you describe that? Um. I think for me, I leave it from, from a position initially of passion. I'm very passionate about what I do. I have to fully believe in something myself to enable me to show that to my to my team. Um, humble, you have to be always in what you're doing. Mm. Have the courage to actually push forward because sometimes what you may be trying to achieve is out of people's comfort zone. Uh, decisiveness because you need to be able to actually be clear in what you want to achieve and how we're going to achieve it. So that clarity of that purpose is important for people. Mm. That's all incredibly important, and as you uh, rightfully uh, mentioned there, uh, having uh, some real clarity and transparency there, but also being able to take people with you and give them the confidence to go beyond their comfort zone in the aim of the uh, the greater good that the business is looking to achieve. And I think that's incredibly important in the context of the here and now, really, um, isn't it, with um, the emergence of COVID-19 and leadership having to take place uh, from a distance. But we've heard some fantastic stories, haven't we, of people who have really chipped in, gone above and beyond, and really brought the best out in themselves during this time of adversity. If we look at that in the context of Sankus and GLI Finance, Andrew, have you seen that to be the case with yourselves as well? Yes, we're facing the most unusual situation that uh, I don't think any of us had predicted, really. We are operating from home. We've been operating from home now for a lot of people. It could be three months, it could be two months, it could be six weeks. And... That's been a big shift in um, A, for people's focus, for team's focus, and B, for their routines, because it's very, you know, you have to create a new working environment from home. Um, I once said that it's, it's 30 days to form a habit. So I think over the first 30 days, it was people trying to find their new routine. They got into that. Where we've been blessed, for want of a better word, is um, the way technology has moved so far ahead now from where it was 15, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. If this had happened 10 years ago, I don't think we'd have been able to cope as efficiently as we have now. 
the, the advent of and development of uh, video conferencing has been a significant uh, a tool that companies have used, and we have used it particularly to enable our teams to talk together, interact together. Uh, we have daily and weekly calls, uh, and, the, and that ability to see each other face to face has, has meant that we uh, don't feel uh, why we feel divorced from the team. You feel part of the team, included in the team, which has been very important for the uh, the business going forward. It's been integral, hasn't it, being able to keep the communication channels open during this uh, period of time. And of course, technology has really had a hand in helping make that possible. But also, um, there are some certain nuances within conversations that you can't always get across um, through um, essentially um, the use of uh, technology. Sometimes it does take that sort of face-to-face discussion. And likewise, there's been an awful amount of pressure on leaders in terms of the people management side of things at the moment to be able to keep providing that reassurance, even though there's a great deal of uncertainty still there. And business is having to plan for certain eventualities without having pretty much all of the information that's um, available to them. Um, have you found it sort of quite um, a challenge during this period to adapt your leadership approach to this new way of working or has it been quite seamless, do you think? Um, I think it's been re- relatively seamless, but, but I suppose I'm not the right person to ask my team because obviously from my perspective, I, I'm still carrying forward as, as we were prior. Uh, we're still having uh, updates. We're still operationally um, effective. Um, where we have really struggled is, as you said earlier, is that face-to-face, lack of the face-to-face interaction with our clients. So we have tried to encourage where possible uh, video conference calls with clients, but some clients are actually more comfortable still on, on, on WhatsApp or the phone. Um, I do feel that uh, what's been, again, where technology has really moved on, is because of internet telephone systems um, that has allowed people not to be concerned about running at huge costs on mobile phones nowadays. It is all through you know internet they, uh, telephone telephones, and, and again, it's really been a life savior to, to uh, a lot of businesses during this um, crazy time that we are now experiencing. And sadly, uh, this is the future, right? We're entering a new normal, and in this new period going forward, we will adapt. We will continue to adapt, um, and and we'll also consider our, our office space now. This is going to become quite an interesting debate going forward: is, is do you really need the amount of space that you have currently, and can you downsize it, save some money, and allow people a more flexible uh, working environment? I work some days in the office and some days at there will certainly be some positives to uh, come from this, um, as you say there, and it's particularly forced the hand of businesses that weren't able to uh, modernise before to actually now look to um, innovate, and that's going to be hugely important, um, as you say, as we do adjust to the uh, the new normal. Based upon the experience of, of course, managing COVID-19 on the, uh, the one hand, but also your years of business experience prior to this uh, crisis, Andrew, if you were to actually give some advice to somebody who was maybe about to start their first day in a leadership role within a business, what sort of advice would you tell them to take on board? Well, I think to me, the, the most important advice or, you know, kind of was that you pick up through your career, I've been 30 years plus in, in the finance industry, it is a, to ensure that you have a um, an objective, clear objective, what you're trying to achieve, and then to, you know, to put together a plan, a roadmap of how you're going to actually achieve those objectives. And setting yourself targets, because the targets then are ways of ensuring that you're you know, you're on that journey. 
without the target, it, it's just it's kind of a it, it's a dream rather than actually a clear plan. So, and, and I think the, the other key, key point is to be totally transparent with your team. And uh, you know, so much that you, they gain, you, know, you gain their trust and respect early on because um, it's very important to have everyone um, working together with you. And, you know, you're always metaphors about everyone's, you know, in the canoe paddling in the same direction. Uh, and secondly, you know, the terrible term I, I which is, you know, you don't want a, a homegrown terrorist. You don't want someone in your organization who's going to work against you from the beginning. So if you have a clear objective, a clear plan, and you talk to, you know, to your people about how you're going to achieve it and what you expect from them, yeah. then you've done your, you've set, the, uh, you've set your uh, beginnings uh, correctly and hopefully people will buy into that and uh, work alongside of you. It's a proactive approach, isn't it? And also picking and choosing the people um, you surround yourself with very, very carefully. Um, in fact, Nelson Mandela himself said, uh, surround yourself with people who are better than you are. And that certainly is of huge importance um, for leaders, especially today, because they have to recognise they're not just lone wolves. I mean, they can pick people who are essentially people who are mentors to them, experienced people who are going to get the best out of them as a leader, as well as vice versa, of course. You know, that that that's Spot on, Scott, actually. One, one of the things that uh, I think is, is actually important to any business performance is having a, a team chemistry that works. And, and it, it, sometimes you don't know why that team chemistry is so good and so positive. And so until you lose it, uh, maybe one team leaves or member leaves or uh, something happens to you, strip that biochemistry or that biodiversity. But but, but that is, is, is back in my career, what's where I've been really successful is when I've had a great team around me and we're all passionate, we're all engaged in what we're doing. Um, and that, that's a unique thing, actually. That's not easy to come by. And it, actually, your experience is, a, is very important because mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer in, in never ignoring my gut, right? Because, you know, what, what your gut is, your, your, is your gut is telling you all those years of experience that something feels right or feels wrong. And... And it feels wrong. You shouldn't ignore it because you know that that all that experience is built up there for a reason. Um, so, so I do believe in that, and I think it's very important to have the team that is, um, uh, as Mandela says, have, have people never be never be intimidated by people brighter than you. That get the best out of them, help them grow, and if they then move on, that's part of the natural curve of life. And never, and I'm wishing the best because. You want them to be the best, and they hopefully enjoy their journey with you. And you never know; they may become clients with you in the future. So, don't take a short-term view; take a longer-term view. I think that's incredibly sound advice indeed, um, Andrew. And if we do continue to think about the uh, the future and the long term before we do wrap things up on the uh, the program today, do give me an idea of what you envision the next year holding from a business perspective as we move through COVID nineteen and hopefully out of the other side of the pandemic and really look to the future and also what you hope to achieve in that time. Yeah, I, it's going to be difficult, right? I, I'm probably more negative, maybe than some of your. Um, participants in, in these calls. I, I, do, I really do believe, and I believe for the last couple of years, that we were heading towards a reasonably uh, deep recession anyway. Um, and, and sadly, I think the COVID-19 is going to push us into a, a very deep recession. And what I don't know, and no one knows, is, is the duration of that recession. So yes, we'll come out of this current crisis uh, in, in relation to We'll end lockdown, maybe self-isolation. We're coming in and out of self-isolation, I'm sure, over the next three, six months. 
Um, because don't forget, what, what they're trying to do is flatten the curve. Not, not you can't eradicate the curve, right? You've got to flatten it. So herd immunity is going to be very important. But so for this year, I think it's, I think it's going to be quite difficult to know where it's going to end. But for next year, I'm hoping that the new normal it is we get back to working practices where the economy is operating. Uh, yes, we'll, we'll have reasonably high employment. Yes, we'll have a subdued economy in relation to GDP. But, but at the end of the day, you have to accept where you are and you have to push forward. Uh, I'm fortunate I work in an industry which I think will be, you know, we, we do alternative uh, finance, alternative lending. Uh, and I think for, for ourselves, I think the marketplace will be still very positive because people still need to, to lend money. And we're, we're asset-backed lenders, we're property-backed lenders. Uh, and then we also syndicate. We have our own private uh, capital. We have institutional money of appointed to us. And we also syndicate with a lot of high uh, value clients and private clients. Uh, and that syndication is, is, is going to be important going forward because currently if you're trying to access a yield and find you know, a, a reasonable return on, on cash, which is paying currently zero in the UK and it probably may, may be negative like it has in Europe, then people do want to be able to deploy their money into something reasonably safe, which has got a secured asset you know, behind it. Uh, so so I, I actually think for, for myself and my own industry, we will be in a better environment next year, although there will be challenges because one of the key issues that we're all trying to get our head around now is is the valuation of real assets, right? Where, where, does, it, where does it lead? Look at the commercial property market. It's been devastated. The destruction has been significant in what's happened. And, and of course, when you look at residential, how you know how far those residential property prices going to fall? We, we just don't know. And there's lots of academic and uh, very good institutional uh, thoughts on that at this time, but it's going to be a period of uh, really suck and see, right? We're going to have to go forward and, and just accept that there's going to be a, a, a stress test to this, and we have to just look at that and, and be just sensible in how we approach it. It's going to be a very uncertain time, as for sure, um, as we start to understand uh, what this new normal will look like and how, of course, um, the um, economic recovery will eventually uh, pan out. But I think given how informative it's been having you um, on today's programme with us, Andrew, I think it would be great um, over the next year, once we start to understand a little bit more about that new normal, to perhaps have you back on just to discuss the current state of affairs and also just catch up on how the business um, is uh, getting on as well. I think from a listener's perspective, that would be fantastic. No, thank you, Scott. And I'd be delighted to... uh... You know, like everybody, we are um, entering the surreal period. It's going to continue for a while. Uh, I wish everyone, I sincerely wish everyone the best. Um, you know, we, we, I think one of the key again, attributes you apply in life is you want everyone to succeed, right? It's not everyone will succeed, but you want people to succeed. Uh, and whatever business they are in at this stage, they're under pressure. Um, there's only a few outliers that have really benefited from what's gone on. The majority are under pressure, and and, and you just got to keep keep your health, keep positive as much as you possibly can, and keep fighting the good fight. Positivity and um, an optimistic outlook is all that we can really carry forward, and hopefully also that focus on the important things that we've taken from this, so that period of self-reflection, that renewed focus on mental health and well-being in particular. Got to say, Andrew, it's been a real pleasure having you on uh, today's uh, program, and um, also a really, really informative um, experience as well. And thank you once again for taking the time to join us. Really, really enjoyed this discussion. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. Take care. Take care, Andrew, and do stay safe as well with everything still going on in the meantime. That was 
That was Andrew Whelan, CEO of the Sankas Group and GLI Finance. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with Liz Field, the Chief Executive of the Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. That is the trade body for firms who provide such services for both individuals and families. And I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Liz. That's coming up next. I'm Jonathan White, and we're joined today by Liz Field, CEO of PIMFA, Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. What a great mouthful. Liz, thank you very much for coming on today. No, thank you for inviting me. No, not a problem. A complete pleasure. And I think uh, it would be a great place to start, if we may. There's maybe a little bit of background uh, for the listeners. Obviously, PIMFA does work in uh, uh, across the board these days but of course it was only founded uh, uh, three years ago and of course um, MAPFA and uh, the WMA were merged. That's right yes um, I think it really was a, a reflection of of where the industry was going in terms of uh, the provision of financial advice and helping individuals with their um, personal financial futures that we felt that it was necessary for the two bodies to merge together. Um, but both, had, well, certainly the Wealth Management Association and its predecessors have been around for nine, well, nearly 30 years yes. now, actually. But you're quite right. Um, as PIMFA, it's, it's been nearly three years now. And the, uh, probably a very wise move because uh, the, the uh, uh, PIMFA's been going from strength to strength uh, since. Uh, what would you say at the moment uh, is, are, are, are the priorities uh, for yourselves there? Um, I think there are a number of priorities. I mean, we represent a diverse group of um, of businesses which all have one thing in common, which is that they face the clients, they, they face the consumer. Um, so whether that is face-to-face or whether that is um, online, uh, it's all about helping individuals to plan and save and invest um, for themselves and for their families. Uh, but we're going through uh, a number of, of key challenges. I mean, um, looking at a, 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 a macro level, if you like, um, markets are a little turbulent. Um, it's it's very challenging um, to... Um, Kind of navigate the the uh, investment management world. So uh, even more reason why you need a financial advisor and uh, an investment management firm to help you, um, because it is quite a complex arena, and that's not helped by the lack of financial education uh, more generally. So um, if you have that as a backdrop, uh, and then politically you have what's going on um, with post Brexit uh, and where the rules are going to come from in future, all of that is still to be negotiated. Um, so it, it's a whole melting pot of issues that uh, that our firms are trying to face. Oh, without a doubt. I think uh, it, maybe Liz, there's quite a few understatements there in terms of the challenges that are yes. occurring <laughs> at the moment. But there's quite a lot to pick up uh, uh, on the on those points because uh, I, I think it's, 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 a, it's a unique time almost, Liz, isn't it, where there are a different set of challenges that advisors and individuals are uh, being confronted with from a lot of different angles. Um, and perhaps if we can start, let's start at the beginning, in fact, you bring up the issue of financial education. 
Yeah. Now, that's something I think uh, you can talk to anybody in the business and they'd agree with you on that front is we don't do it properly in this country. Where no. do you think, Liz, it should start from and how do we fix it? Okay, so I think, I mean, the first thing to say is that there's a lot of fantastic effort that we see across the whole of the financial services sector, uh, our sector um, amongst that, where they they try and go into schools um, and provide financial education. You go onto any website um, of some of our members and they've got some great educational material. Um, but there isn't a national framework that 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 wraps itself around the whole of the financial education efforts within our industry. And without that, um, I think they're, they're the the businesses are facing a lot of um, barriers when it comes to actually getting into schools. Um, I mean, financial education is part of the, um, per, I think it's personal health and social education um, a piece of the curriculum, but there isn't an exam um, that's at the end of it. So when it comes to schools and, and how they're being judged, it's on metrics such as um, exams and without an exam for financial education, um, I think uh, it's go- it's just it's just going to keep coming up against the same barriers. Mm. Um, and financial education is not the same as maths. So uh, what we'd also quite like to see is is that we have more um, kind of money type questions within the maths curriculum, because that will also then bring it to life uh, for young people, for uh, youngsters and you know school kids. It will bring it to life because it's about things that they have to deal with or, you know, that they they deal with on a day-to-day basis, which is money. So the more that we have that is populated in the curriculum that is about money, um, the better, I think, because that then we'll start to promote a culture of, of savings and investments, which we so badly need in our in 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 our um, in our country. Without a doubt, Liz, because and again, you've hit the nail on the head. Because there's only so much that can be done without the involvement of the curriculum in schools. Yeah, uh, and you know, you can, as you've pointed out very well, uh, companies can try all they all they might, but it's difficult if it's not a, a joint effort. Uh, yeah. And I think as, um, uh, for example, uh, with with the new government we have, there have already been positive noises at the very least. Whether they become actions is another <laughs> thing entirely regarding what you could consider a, for, a, a, a far more applied mathematics in, in a lot of uh, uh, the system. But ty- time will tell. And that's something I think we could probably dedicate in the next hour to. Liz. Yes, but I think you're right. <laughs> we probably shouldn't. Um now, looking at a couple of the points to pick up that you've already raised here, Liz, uh, and it goes back to the word you've already said, which is uncertainty. Uh, it, it seems as if the markets, investors, people, we've been in a state of limbo for the last three and a half years. Uh, we're talking, of course, three months after, two months after uh, a general election that resulted in a a large majority for the Conservative Party, and therefore at least we have now uh, uh, left the European Union without without dragging you down the political rabbit hole <laughs> here, at least. Is there a hope now that because of that clarity, we may start to see a far more s- s- far more certainty in the market? And what are your hopes for the next 12 months? 
Um, I think I think that's, that we've still got a little way to go because um, whilst you know, thirty first of January came and went, um, you know, we're now we're now in a negotiation period. We're now in a transition period, um, and for for UK. Um, savers and uh, and investors, uh, in terms of where the rules are made, there's still there's still not some clarity about that. Um, you know, we're we're still uh, well, we don't know yet whether we're still tied um, or will be tied to the um, European rulemaking um, down the line. That's still to be negotiated. I mean, we've always said that actually for for savers and investors, we need stability in the markets and we need access to funds. Um, however, it, you know the, the majority of our of our firms look after UK savers, um, and therefore, a one of the positives we see is the ability to have a a rule book that makes sense for UK savers and investors and UK firms. Um, so there's an uh, we think that there's an opportunity there with definitely without um, watering down regulation. So we're definitely not talking about less regulation. Yes. What we're talking about is smarter regulation, which makes sense for firms and makes sense for clients. Um, and as we've got a very unique industry in terms of savings and investments um, um, in Europe, in Europe, England or U- the UK rather, and and Ireland are unique amongst our European counterparties. So when you have a European rule book or a rule book that is set in Europe that doesn't bear any relation to the model of intermediation that we have here, that has caused us problems in the past, and we're hoping that we will be able to affect that in the future with a local regulator and a local rule and a local rulemaker. But we will see. That is still all part of the of the melting pot. So whilst I'd like to be posit- positive and, and optimistic about the market, <laughs> um, we've still got this period um, of uh, of negotiation. And uh, until we see where we go to with that, uh, and of course you've got financial services and fisheries amongst yeah, the same piece, you know. <laughs> famous fellows, aren't they? Indeed, um, absolutely, absolutely. So we've still got to wait and see. I think. Absolutely, um, and it will be a, a interesting year, if nothing else. Um, yes. uh, now, you, you, you mentioned there at least uh, the role of, uh, of course, regulators. I know uh, in the last month or so, obviously, uh, PIMFA has uh, given its fair amount of critique to um, the SEA. Um, are they at the moment doing their job correctly? Um, I think part I I don't envy the regulator one iota. Um, uh, I think if you look at the the number of people that they have in the supervisory team and the number of firms that they have to regulate, um, it, it it is not an enviable job um, by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, we have been critical, not least of all because we are expecting. Um, better supervision to prevent firms from failing and certainly to prevent firms from failing in the spectacular way that they have uh, in the last few years, which has impacted on the size of the financial services compensation scheme levy. And this levy is paid for 
by by firms within the industry. And our firms are a majority of small to medium-sized firms, and their bills have gone up exponentially. Our criticism is that, you know, we we don't object to having an FSCS levy um, or, you know, the lifeboat yes. funds to pay, you know, recompense to to consumers. Uh, and, and our view is, has always been that the polluter pays, but the polluters have, have long since folded by the time mm. it comes to any payment, which means that good firms are paying for bad firms. So the system, we believe, is broken. Um, and, and I think that is about the regulatory perimeter. Um, you know, what is it that the, that the lifeboat fund should be protecting? The perimeter is too big. So that, you know, what is the nature of risk? That all needs to be um, uh, redefined, we believe, and recalibrated, which then enables you to determine well, if that's what risk is, then how do we protect it and how do we levy for it? Mm. Um, and that is all linked to better supervision. So that is something we have been critical about. Um, we're in the process of finalizing a paper, uh, which we um, which we have positioned in a constructive manner, which is these are some of the things that we believe FCA, you should be looking at in your supervisory process, and we want to help you to do your job better. Now, I I know there's no such thing as a a magic wand, Liz, and perhaps it'll be putting you on the spot. <laughs> but if let's imagine, let's let's imagine you did have one just for the just for this afternoon, perhaps, and you were able to change one thing about that uh, system. And perhaps I shouldn't ask this because if your report isn't out yet, you might well not want to reveal something that's in it. Um, but if you could. <laughs> Um, what, what would be your number one priority? If we, if we were to, if I were, my number one priority to, to solve the system in terms of reform. In terms of reform, mm. what regulatory yeah, reform yes. you mean? Um, I think. Oh goodness me! The one thing. Um, it is a bit of a mean I, question. Uh, it <laughs> is. Gosh, yes. Wow. Um, I, I think it's about the regulatory perimeter. Sure. Um, I, I think let's have a look at the regulatory perimeter. Um, which is, you know, gives some certainty to to clients about what is protected and what is not protected, which also then gives some assurity both to them and also to the advisors who have to advise those clients on what what's the pathway to success for them and what and and I think if there's some clarity around all of that, then everybody will be will be better off. Now, I'm conscious of the time here, Liz. It's already catching up with us. So perhaps if we can take a, a little step back and uh, and look at, um, at the operations of PIMFOR again. It's what PIMFOR do, does so well is its ability to build relationships with so many uh, different uh, organisations. Can that really, Liz, be underestimated, the importance of having those working relationships with with the departments and the organizations that you do have no i don't i, I think it's absolutely fundamental um to any business actually mm. but it's certainly something that that we have in the middle of the stick of rock that is PIMFA. Uh, I mean, we talk about the, you know, the values that we have as an organization. We, we are a small organization uh, and we can't do our job unless we work in partnership and collaboration with others. So relationship building, 
um, and maintaining and creating a good foundation of relationships is absolutely fundamental to what we do. Without a doubt. And I think that's the key point, isn't it, that that's so applicable to any realm, whether it's business or, or politics or uh, any areas of life. And I think and because of the time here, we, we, I, I must start to wrap up. But um, perhaps I can ask, Liz, looking forward, and I know the next 12 months is full of uncertainty, what are uh, the plans PIMFA has for it nonetheless? Um, so I think our well, our key priority this this next twelve months is 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 to be talking um, much more, um, and we 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 have been lobbying uh, a fair bit on this. But because of Brexit, um, our ability to actually kind of get into um, see the policymakers on both sides, I think, to have that dialogue has been a challenge. Um, but we're finding that that is changing, that you know, they, they want to hear from us. So I think our priority is around that regulatory perimeter um, and what does what does regulation look like for, uh, for us moving forward. But at the same time, it's not just about the future of regulation, but it's also about the future of supervision because the two of those go hand in hand. Um, so those those two um, are kind of what are, are the main the main areas over the course of this next year. Having said that, um, you know we have a manifesto that's got six that's got six pillars in it, um, and regulation and supervision and the future of that is is just. Um, Kind of is just one of those things. There are a whole host of other of other things promoting the sector as a as a force for good and as an integral part of a of an individual's kit bag um, for financial and mental well being uh, is is another key strand of, of activity. So I think future regulation, future supervision, and then promoting the sector as an integral part of uh, of um, everybody's kit bag in building their personal financial futures. Well, Liz, there might never be uh, a more important year uh, or that has not been in a while that will determine the future of all of those things and perhaps never a year where so many people pay attention to what happens to Britain's fish stocks. Um, but it's been <laughs> Liz, an absolute pleasure discussing that uh, leadership with you today. Uh, I hope very much we can sit down perhaps later this year uh, when there's a bit more clarity perhaps and talk through a few more things. Thank you. I would love to do that. Thank you very much. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.